Changing Reels, a bi-weekly podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity in cinema one reel at a time. We do so by revisiting overlooked and underappreciated films. My name is Courtney Small. I'm joined today by film critic extraordinaire Kristen Lopez, uh, whose work has been published in numerous publications, including uh, The Hollywood Reporter and RogerEbert.com, to name a few. Kristen, how are you doing today? I know you're just fresh off of festival goodness. Yeah, TCM was awesome, so I am very tired. I was just saying before we went to air, um, I just finished covering hot dogs up here, and I I feel your tiredness, because festivals are uh, wonderful places to see films, but also really exhausting, and as we'll discuss with our feature film, sometimes terrible places to to see films as well. My regular co-host, Andrew Hathaway, is on hiatus for the year. He's focusing on his writing, and also he's producing a video game that's, I guess, due out later this year, so if you want to continue to support his work, you can do so via his Patreon account at can'tstopthemovies.com. And if you're feeling generous, you can also support the show by visiting the Modern Superior website. They have a Patreon account as well, and they're the network that hosts our show. Uh, we like to start off each episode by highlighting a short film that you can watch for free online. Our short film today is the 2016 film The Focus Group, written by and starring Sarah Benacasa and directed by Heather Fink. The film follows Sarah, a down-on-her-luck food blogger, as she decides to try out a new personal boutique that can turn a person's life around within six months. Kristen, did you get a chance to watch this film? And if so, what did you think about it? I did. I did watch this. I thought it was really, really funny. I got kind of a, for good and for ill, an inside Amy Schumer vibe, which is a show that if you watch like the first season was really sharp. And I got a similar feeling watching this in a good way, in the concept of a woman who is kind of being told by a quote-unquote friend that she should change her life, and it involves being told how horrible she is. And and I thought it was really clever, the, the concept of a focus group that is meant to point out your flaws in the hopes of helping you change. And watching it is just like watching social media only with actual people. And I thought the ending was really funny. So I enjoyed this a lot. You know, I'm glad that you brought up Inside Amy Schumer because this was a, a short film that I'd seen before and I absolutely loved, but it was actually a tweet by you that sparked me to you know, present it for this episode because I I haven't seen the film yet, but I saw that you had tweeted about the the Amy Schumer film I Feel Pretty, and you were, if I could say, not a fan of it based on your. Uh, uh, I, I absolutely flat out hated it. You can you can be as mean as you want. I thought it was a big piece of crap. Well, again, I haven't seen the film, so I'm not going to pass any judgment. But I do remember when I first saw the trailer for. I feel a pretty, and I know it sparked a lot of controversy even before the the film came out. But in the back of my head, I was like, oh, well, why didn't they just do the focus group if they were going to do this type of thing? Because the focus group has some similar things i guess from what i understand in i feel pretty she she bumps her head and that you know i guess makes her realize her inner strength and inner beauty and here you have a woman who goes to this boutique you know is told all the things that's wrong with her and it's supposed to change but then when you realize that her life does turn around but it has nothing to do with the focus group it is it is her ability her talent that that gets her through it and i seeing your tweet i was i kept thinking well I wonder if if people have seen the focus group. Like, if you're going to make a big Hollywood movie, you could easily expand on on this as well. It works great as a as a contained short, but I've always thought that you know this would be a a great feature, at least especially for a comedy. Yeah, I definitely think this could have been another couple of minutes longer because I feel pretty is one of those where the joke is that Amy Schumer is quote unquote ugly, and so how dare she think that she's this most beautiful woman? She has all this confidence. In this short, it's 
the character of Sarah who knows she's not perfect from the get-go. You know, she's depressed, she's sloppy, she knows she doesn't eat right, but she really wants, I, I think what women especially, and I guess you could say this for, for everybody, but women more so than others, we want certain thing but we need to be told exactly what we need to focus on and why it's so awful you know so she goes to this focus group and they comment about how she has you know nice boobs but she's overweight and they like her hair but her nose isn't good and it's really that hollywood mentality of we can change you but it's just writ large into the modern woman again it's why i think it's like it's like going on to social media you know, she's putting herself out there in a way where she she's asking people to judge her and to tell her to her face what's wrong with her in the hopes that she'll be so ashamed by their criticisms that she'll change. Which is why I think at the end, I, I don't know if you thought that it, she actually was successful. I thought that was all bullshit, that she was just telling people that she was successful and had just kind of said she didn't care anymore. You know, that concept of, I think, I forget who it, the quote was attributed to. I, I just, I stopped worrying about my weight and started buying clothes that fit. <laughs> yeah, concept of, I'm just going to be happy eating greasy egg rolls and wearing my feminist shirt, and I really don't care. I'll just lie to people because that's easier. See, that's funny because I, I took it as that her life did change around. Like, just through her her work, she she managed to to spin it around because I, 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 I didn't get the sense that she would lie about that because at the beginning when she's talking to her friend Anne who I, I guess in theory took the same focus group program and her life changed around she was very honest about everything in her life and like you know just all how how down everything is so I think that honesty would have continued even after having gone through this um experience like I, I took it as she listened you know she got all the harsh feedback and then just said you know what no this this isn't working because if you if you look at all the people who quote unquote are the the role models that she's supposed to want to aspire to you know you had one woman who had a a particular magazine that she subscribed to so i can understand that but then one guy had like a, a store where he had was it mason jars of a fat like a really niche novelty store that was hip and trendy but I didn't get the sense that that would be something that she would find fulfilling. Like a lot of their success was just weird niche kind of hipster type success that wouldn't translate into anything long term. So when she was talking to her dad and then saying that, you know, I had this, I got to interview Martha Stewart and things are going great. And she's still wearing the same feminist t-shirt, you know, same outfit like I, I believe that after six months she did find that success that something clicked and I mean if we had more time we'd have probably seen what the catalyst was but I just took it as it was her work that ultimately you know someone or somehow broke through and, and there's I mean yeah there's not enough argument for or against to say whether it's it's either or I definitely think that for for me at least it's the concept of being like you know what screw what other people recommend I do. And I think it's funny that, yeah, everybody that is in this focus group is a hipster who the, the joke I think is that their jobs are completely stupid and insane, but it's successful in the fact that people will willingly think that's cool because it's so 
batshit insane. So I think that the, the short is really poking fun at this perception of cool and how we, we so desperately want to be popular, but have this aura of individuality. But if you, what makes you an individual is so stupid and sounds so crazy, is it really something to aspire to, if that makes sense? No, no, it, it does. And I think for me... I guess part of the reason why I envision the ending going a certain way is because Sarah Benacasa, the the star of the film and the writer of the of the short, she's someone who I follow on Twitter. She's one of my favorite people to follow on on social media, of, just because she's very honest. But also in a lot of her writing, at least from the articles that I've read, and I recently read one of her books earlier this year, "Real Artists Have Day Jobs." There is a lot of honesty in terms of she talks about her low point she talks about the good things the bad and you know how she was able to just kind of persevere so i saw a lot of i guess like the real life sarah within this particular character but you know who knows maybe you might actually be right maybe the character is taking a different perspective towards the end than i initially thought but i guess that's what i also enjoy about it. it's funny and you know it's still open to interpretation yeah i I think I think there's so many, regardless of the ending, there's so many kind of pointed criticism about the ways we try to tell other people things in a way that's um, polite, at least. Like when she's writing the email and she's saying that her last boyfriend told her that she didn't take care of herself. And she says, which is just code for your fat fuckity fuck. I thought that was really funny because, you know, we do tell ourselves, we tell other people, you know, we're told that, oh, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. But is that really the best way to go when we all know what you're talking about anyway? You know, so I, I like that the short really calls out this kind of, concept of dressing up insults in a way that's supposed to cushion the blow even though it's actually worse because we know what you really mean exactly and you know as you pointed out earlier every every compliment is followed by an insult right uh, and you instantly forget about what the compliment was once you hear the insult because like oh that's that's kind of harsh you know so that that is true We're, we we do tend to to dress up things even though how we dress it up is is very flimsy. You know, you can you can definitely see through the the material and see the the cruel core that, that's underneath. All right, well, you know what? That's a perfect spot to end. Uh, we're going to take a quick moment to change the reels, and then we'll be back with our feature film of the day. <laughs> Our main film for today is the 2017 film Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Directed by Angela Robinson, the film tells the true life story of psychologist William Moulton Marston and how his polyamorous relationship with his wife and one of his students helped to shape the foundation of the iconic Wonder Woman comics that he created. Kristen, I know that you're a big fan of this film, so do you want to kick off your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I loved this movie when it came out. It's very upsetting to me that the studio did not promote this as well. I think we said this about Queen of Cotway, but I think the, the studio just did not know what to do with this story. This R-rated, uncompromising look at a polyamorous relationship and lesbianism and, you know, kinky sex. I, I love this movie so much. And it's weird because I normally despise Luke Evans with a fiery passion. And I actually liked him in this movie, which is very bizarre to me. 
I, I thought this movie was funny. It's It's got a lot to say about gender and about relationships and about Wonder Woman. And I love how in a year that gave us a Fifty Shades of Grey movie that was completely chaste-seeming and not kinky at all and not sexy, this is easily one of the sexiest movies that came out last year, if not the last couple of years, in a way that's not graphic or exploitative. And Rebecca Hall is always great. So I, I enjoy this movie so much. You know what? I, there's a lot there that I'm going to agree with. But first, I'll have to say Luke Evans. Did you not see Fast and Furious 6? Uh, unfortunately, I did. It's just continued oh, okay. the hatred of him. <laughs> So I, I have a weird obsession with that whole franchise, so maybe I'm not the, the best to speak on that. Uh, I, I didn't really have much expectation for Luke Evans going into this film, just because I haven't seen an, enough of his work to really to really gauge. But I will say that I did see this at TIFF last year, and one of the reasons why I say festivals are a fantastic place and also a horrible place to see a film is because when I first saw this, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I liked it, but... It was coming off a day where I had seen, I think, five movies before that, and I, I think I saw this midweek, but um, I can't remember exactly when it premiered, but Andrew Robinson was there, uh, Luke Evans was there, uh, was it Bella Heathcote? She was yeah. she was there. I think Rebecca Hall was the only one that wasn't there, and I think she, it had to do to some family uh, matters that she was dealing with. And I remember really enjoying the film, and then I was talking to some people after, and there was... A few male critics were like, oh, you know, it's, it's okay, it's nothing. And then I remember reading a few reviews from some female critics that absolutely loved it. And now revisiting again, you know, I was kind of happy to, to pick up the Blu-ray. And when I was sitting there, I was like, no, this film is phenomenal. If I, if I didn't have that, oh man, this is the fifth film in a day, and like I could really soak in everything that Angela Robinson is doing with this film, I think I would have loved it even more on my, on my first viewing. And one of the things that struck me about this film is going in on my first viewing, there was a lot of biopics at TIFF that year. So you had The Darkest Hour, you had the, I think it was the Tesla film with Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm forgetting the name oh, of it at the yeah, moment. Yeah. The current war that's still not the current, out. Yes, exactly. The current war. And just reading the synopsis was like, oh, is this going to just be like another kind of typical Hollywood biopic of, you know, famed white man that did something great, which is, you know, there's a place for those, but there was just so many of them that it's like, oh, is this going to bring anything new? And what struck me about this film is, you know, it's called Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, but it's really about the women. It's it's about the wife, Elizabeth. It's about Olive. You know, they, they are the true characters, the foundation of this film. And it just elevated everything for me. Their their relationship with each other and then their relationship with Marston, I thought was just fantastically done. And the, the different layers, like I thought going into the film, you, you'd expect Olive to be the innocent one but she's actually the strongest of the three when you're when you're watching the film and elizabeth who's very brash confident she's still got a lot of i guess society's influence on her that you know she wants to live a certain way but she knows that she can't whereas olive is like well why can't we you know and i thought that was really refreshing in a, in a film like this film goes places that i didn't expect it to and as you said there is a sexiness to the film and it's done tastefully especially after we had the patty jenkins wonder woman I thought, like, you know, you have a perfect thing to, to bounce off of and market this film a lot better than the studios did. Yeah, this is this is written and directed by Angela Robinson. And I know that the family 
of the the real William Marston and, and the offspring that he had with both women have come out against this movie and said they weren't interviewed, they weren't consulted. Angela Robinson's been very frank about the fact that she did not consult the family when she made this. And really their biggest criticism is that they, they allege that the real Elizabeth Marston and Olive Byrne did not have a relationship together, that, that they just coexisted, not unlike like a polygamous marriage. They were not lesbians. They were not into each other. And okay, that's their truth. That's cool. But I think that the movie does a lot more than just act as a biopic for these characters. It's situating the concept of this is the, what is this, the 1940s, post-war, World War II. And the idea that women are truly complex i mean the the females in this this movie are some of the most complex and conflicted that i've i've seen olive is very prim and proper comes from from a prominent feminist family her her uh, aunt is margaret sanger and she's fascinated by sex and kink but she doesn't know if she should whereas elizabeth is very dominating and she's the prototypical feminist but at the same time, the movie says that having your pride and being so uncompromising isn't bad as a woman. It's bad as a person in a relationship because she's unwilling to bend to the whims of her partners. And so I, I like that the the movie looks at relationships in this way that is very human, whilst at the same time deconstructing it in terms of what's appropriate or not appropriate for women during that time period. Yeah, the this film really promotes a, a woman's right to choose and in, in every aspect of life, which is something that's, you know, would have been groundbreaking for the time because you have Elizabeth wanting to get a, a Harvard degree because she's she's earned it. She doesn't want the the female um, college equivalent, you know, when she's doing the, the same work and she's smarter than most of her her colleagues. And I like how you phrase that in terms of her being dominant in every aspect of her life, but but finding that dominance doesn't work within the the frame of relationship. There needs to be give and take. There needs to be a certain level of of submission. And as Marson points out, you know, you need to have s submission to also realize that there there can be pleasure in it. So much is not necessarily a, a bad thing. And the way how these characters are framed, and I would say even Olive's um, boyfriend, who we first meet, I'm, I'm forgetting, I think it was Charles, I can't remember his, his name, but the way how he quickly picks up on the energy between Elizabeth and Olive. Like, I, I remember watching this both times, and especially in the second time, thinking, man, these people are, are true real-life characters. Whether or not, you know, this is exactly how things went down, what we're seeing on screen are, are real people who are handling situations in a realistic way. There was there was no... I can't say there was no, but there was very few moments where I went, okay, that that was just done for, for cinema. I think, for me, the, the most traditional aspect of this film was the, the child decency panel that the, the film kind of interjects to just to remind you that this was a, another aspect of the, the decency laws within the Wonder Woman arc. And to me, that felt a little traditional in terms of the biopic structure, but... Uh, Otherwise, these characters were, were so rich and nuanced. And as you said, everyone is, especially the women, are so complex that you can't just summon them up as, you know, a one-line character, which is what I absolutely loved about this film. And I, and I think 
that, you know, this movie could have been very problematic in the way that we've seen relationships, polyamorous relationships shown. I think of something like Big Love, this concept of like, this guy gets the ability to have sex with a lot of different women and they don't really have lives of their own. It's usually bound up in religion. Here, it's really a relationship of equals in every way, shape or form. Marston is not this dominating force being like, I want to be able to sleep with whoever I want, whenever I want. And so I'm just going to have this relationship and say that it's legit. It's the fact that Kim and Elizabeth have been together since childhood. They, they know each other, they're best friends. And yet at the same time, there's really nothing stale about the relationship. There's no moment early in the film where you're like, oh no, these two are on the rocks. You know, their, their relationship sucks. No, their relationship is actually really good. And then when Olive shows up, it's, it's not necessarily a different facet of something where he wants to feel young again. It's the fact that she works well for both of them. It's truly a relationship of equals where they just happen to all really love each other in a way that's not scummy, which I really appreciated. Um, and you brought up the, the child decency panel which I think people forget comics in the 50s were really maligned, starting with Wonder Woman, which was filled with like bondage and claims of lesbianism. I think at the same time, there was also claims that Batman and Robin were considered gay iconography because people were, were freaking out over a grown man adopting a young boy. And so, so it wasn't really limited to Wonder Woman, but at the same time, it's showing this this real fear of what are our children going to be indoctrinated to the homosexual lifestyle and kinkery and all this stuff, which does culminate with when, when they start having children and they move to Rye and the kids start getting involved in schoolyard fights because people find out about their, their parent. And so really you watch this and yes, it's a, a relationship of three people, but it really could apply to you know, a, a gay couple or a trans couple, you know, and this concept of is it is what you do behind closed doors really acceptable or is that a lie we tell ourselves? Because it never really seems to work out that way. No, that's that's a very good point. And I remember watching it thinking, especially when they the neighbors kind of discover what's going on. And their reaction, the the whole, well, you know, we need to think of our children. You know, your kids are now officially a bad influence on our kids just because of their proximity to you and really not much has changed like i know we like to think that we are evolved but we're still having these same kind of quote-unquote decency conversations and masking that type of fear in in various uh, vernacular but it still comes down to like you know many years later we're still having these baits and i think that's another reason why this film should be seen by more people because it's it's still relevant you know not just simply for the wonder woman aspect but for basically societal norms and what we consider not normal or what some consider i should say not normal and one of the things i found interesting is you mentioned this is a a couple or a threesome of equals but angel Robinson also includes some moments where you, you kind of question uh, Marston's motivations, especially when he's getting into the bondage. Like, you know, is that, quote-unquote, for research? Is it for their own personal enjoyment? Or is it just for his own kind of interest, you know? Like, the, he still has a, a risque or kinky side to him that he needs to to delve into. And I thought that was 
was handled well because it, it never makes him seem like he is um, seedy or perverted but at the same time it you know it does make you question some of the motivations even elizabeth at one point starts to question you know is this really for research or is this just for you and you know elizabeth of, of all of them is the one who finds the the notion of submission the the hardest thing to grasp you know she thinks it's it's something that men force upon women you know it's only when olive says no i'm actually really in interested in this that she elizabeth decides to kind of open her mind that you know okay if a, if a woman is into this then you know and i do believe women has a right to choose maybe i will experiment with this as well so how they bring in all those facets and especially the different sides of of marston i thought was really well and i mean again these are the same people that came up with the lie detector you know they're, they, there's so much going on in this film you could have had a, a simple story about them working to build a lie detector it wouldn't be as interesting but like there's there's enough facets in this film that you could have had several different movies but they all work seamlessly together yeah i i do like that there's this constant questioning especially with the with elizabeth about whether bondage is is something like from this remnant of our past as as women that we're you know, is it is it like literally becoming chattel? You know, I think that that's a really interesting look at how, you know, does that tie into these old school, going back to the history of time ways that women have been subjugated. And you see a, a real reclaiming of that. And I think we see that too in movies. Again, you throw in Fifty Shades of Grey for better or worse. It's a movie that makes women question, like, is that something I'm into or what does that really mean? We don't have a lot of movies nowadays that explore sexuality, at least in terms of what's considered normal or not. You know, you may see, like, the questioning of sexuality in terms of sexual orientation, but you don't really see women questioning, like, am I into this? You know, I put this up there with something like Secretary. Yeah, Secretary is a great film. And, and it's a movie that really looks at the BDSM lifestyle in a way that's not judgmental. Fifty Shades of Grey, I think, is a horrible example of, of all of that. There's been numerous articles written about how horribly incorrect it is about kinkiness and all of that. This is a movie that I think shows that in a way that is actually really erotic without being exploitative like the the rope moment between elizabeth and olive where it's not even you know nobody's nude or anything like that it's just the concept of and, and you it's something i bring up with call me by your name proximity and this anticipatory interest you know the the threesome sequences i think are filmed really really well they're they're expertly scored they're beautifully shot. You have like three beautiful people and it's in a way that's not making you think you're watching porn. And I think that that's something we've lost in movies, especially because sex is so rarely depicted in film. I mean, you look at movies nowadays that are R-rated they're not necessarily R-rated for sex anymore. We've, we've gone very prudish in the last, like, 20 years with our cinema. And this was refreshing to see a movie that, like, actually says, you know what? Go out. Have sex. It's not that bad. <laughs> um, you know, the, it's a very sex-positive film, which I appreciate in a landscape that, especially for women, tells you, like, don't go out and have sex because it's always going to be bad. You're, you're going to end up getting attacked. or like, I'm trying not to bring up Sicario intentionally, but that is a great example of a movie that does not seem very sex positive for women this is so I, I recommend this wholeheartedly you know i hadn't even considered sicario in that late until you 
until you mentioned it. But but you know, but it's one of those when once you mentioned it, the light bulb went off. It's like, you know, she's right. I never I never considered that. I wish I wasn't considering the scene and who's in it, but I'm I, I hate that I'm right. <laughs> yes, yes, no, and I, I, I was wondering watching this because I. Similar to you, I think that this film is a really sexy film and tastefully done. Like their the build up to their first encounter um, behind the this stage is is so beautiful in terms of how they slowly build up the tension and then how it's filmed and executed is great. You talked about the rope scene, the the shop later on between Elizabeth and Olive, even the the build up to the scene where they get exposed by the neighbors. And again, you have um, some rope play in that. It's all really tastefully done. It's all beautifully shot, a little steamy, but as you said, done in a tasteful way. And I kept thinking, is it the reason that we have women kind of taking charge? Is that why studios were like, well, I don't know, we don't know how to handle this? Because you're right, there isn't that many films nowadays that are sex positive, and especially sex positive from a female standpoint. Like when I think of a lot of films that broached on the, the subject of sex, it's usually from a male-dominated perspective. You know, or a male being the one to awaken the woman, right? Whereas you don't have something like this where there's there's equals. And I do agree. We have cinema has become prudish when it comes to to sex um, and, and and nudity over the years. You know, violence they have no problem with, regardless of the age, unless it's like a, a teenage comedy where again it's primarily about young males trying to get laid. I know blockers is trying to break that trend with having young women at the core, but that's really fascinating in terms of just to think of how we respond to it. Because even something like Fifty Shades of Grey, now I haven't seen any of the, the films from that franchise yet. Uh, lucky but, man. <laughs> well, I've, I've heard mixed things. I, I've heard a lot of negative things from uh, male critics, and I've heard mixed from female critics. Some say, some female critics say that it's it's just terribly shot acted and others say it's flawed but some of the message about sexuality and empowerment is is worth it and again i think it's interesting to have the different genders perspective on things like i know you're a a vocal advocate of having more female critics especially at the the top papers and and movie sites to offer a different perspective i completely agree with you on that because sometimes you or not sometimes a lot of times you need that you you need to get the the different viewpoint but when it comes to the actual filmmakers and the portrayals of of sex within cinema it's definitely made me think about the type of imageries that we're we're seeing in in cinema today and also who are the ones that are green lighting it and who are the ones that are constructing it I think Angela Robinson brings a a certain nuance and style and sexiness to this film that I don't think some of her male counterparts would have even come close to. Yeah, it's it's funny. This was put out by Annapurna, which you think they would support a female director of color more than they would have here. But I, I, I do think a lot of it is that it's women. I think a lot of it, too, is that it's a movie that's about kinkiness that needs to show sex. And I think that with audiences now and the fact that we do avoid sex at all, when we do get it, it's usually still very vanilla. So I think a lot of it is, is like, 
how much is too far? We don't want to get slapped with being like indecent or anything like that. And it's it's funny because Angela Robinson's debut film was the movie Debs, which is a similar movie about government agency trying to make like assassins that are female. And there's a lesbian angle in that movie as well. And I didn't really care for Debs that much, but I, I maintain that a lot of movies that do star women in genres that are predominantly male-based are hard sell just because most most studios are still run by men so they don't really know what to do with that and after this Angela Robinson did the Disney movie Herbie Fully Loaded and then she didn't direct a movie for over 10 years she dabbled in television this was her big day big return having not directed a film since 2005 and I think that says a lot about how women filmmakers are still forced to kind of fight for every film that they get to make and a movie movie like this that is a period drama that's about polyamory and kinky sex is is a tough sell and i think i wish annapurna had 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 more um support for it we can never gauge what drives studios and especially in terms of the marketing angela robinson when she was doing television she you know she directed um some of, some of the great episodes of The L Word. She's she's always been a talented filmmaker. I enjoy Debs. It's I I don't think it's a great film, but it it's fun for what it is. I think Debs has a a good concept, but the execution wasn't quite there for me. Herbie Fully Loaded. It's fine. It's fine. It's a Herbie film. It's <laughs> it's exactly what you would expect it to be, and that's not a that's not a, a slight. It's just. If you want a Herbie Herbie and movie, that's what you're gonna is get. Is that if if a man had directed both of those movies, we'd have probably given him a multi million dollar film by this point. True. <laughs> it's a it's a sad state of affairs, but it's become a, a running theme on this show. It's the truth, especially when you're talking about representation, inclusion in cinema. We're seeing constant examples of it. You know, she she made those two, had to do a whole bunch of television, then comes back with this really great film that kind of just went under everyone's radar. Her and Mimi Letter, I think, are the two that I just always kind of like beat my head against a wall thinking like, why are they not directing far more things than they should be? And I know she's she's done a lot of producing as well, yeah. but but even if you think of like the stuff that she's worked on, True Blood, Hung, The L Word, they're all shows that deal with human sexuality in some way or another, right? And also how you convey that aspect of humans while they are navigating various types of relationships. So it's one of those films that all I could say is I, I hope people go out. It's on Blu-ray, DVD. You can watch it for, if you have Hulu, you can watch it right now. That's how I watched it. Oh, there you go. There's no excuse you know, if you have Hulu. You know what? Pair it with Wonder Woman if you want. Get your big budget Hollywood movie with Wonder Woman and then find out the real story behind it. It's... I think there was a missed opportunity, especially the biopics that came out last year. You know, I would say see this before you see Darkest Hour. That's just me. <laughs> but yeah, to, to each their own, to each their own. You know, it, for me, it was even better the, the second time. Do you want to dive into the lie detector stuff at all? or? It's there. Uh, it's it's kind of the, the B plot on the way to the A version of the, the movie. But, you know, it's it's funny that you would think that the, I think uh, Elizabeth brings up that they should be millionaires from that. <laughs> but this whole thing is, you know, I, I sold this for free 
it's it's almost like he's the 1940s Mark Zuckerberg. Just like, I uploaded it online. It should be available to the masses. Well, that's real easy for you to say when you're a white guy who doesn't really need money. The only thing I wasn't quite clear on was when he started doing the Wonder Woman comics, did they get wealthy off of that? Because... By that point, they had left their their careers as psychologists, and they had to move around so much that I, I never got the impression that they... I got the impression that they were living comfortably, but it wasn't like they were raking in the money, and I wondered if some of that had to do with the rumors that kept following them around as they as they had to move from place to place it doesn't really say i mean it was incredibly successful but i don't know how much of that went to them so it doesn't it doesn't sound wiki so i don't know maybe i'm hoping they got wealthy yeah i'm I'm hoping so as well but you know you hear a lot of stories especially in the the art world at that time and in comics like you know sometimes you created a character but not everyone was the Stanley Jack Kirby kind of deals where they were just hand over fist making money, right? And especially a controversial comic like this where you have groups of people burning it and there's, you know, people not wanting their children to read it because of all the, the bondage and S&M stuff, even though he was designing it to, to teach boys about learning to to be able to appreciate powerful women and consent, trying to teach them at an early age. You know, all, all things that we're still trying to get into our, our young males and young boys right now but i just i just wondered if if he really made a lot off of it or if it was one of those things that the people at dc or whatever publishers had the rights they did most they made most of the money and then he got like a just enough to so that he could live comfortably yeah and i did want to point out that i love how the characters got a severe upgrade because Luke Evans is an uptick from the real Marston. I'm looking at pictures of, of everybody right now. That's how you know it's a Hollywood movie. Everybody got hotter. I, I do want to touch on really briefly the end titles where they talk about how after Marston's death, they stripped Wonder Woman's powers. And it wasn't until a couple years later that they brought them back. And I think that that's a really sad addendum to the movie. I mean, it's great that Wonder Woman is the character she is now, but really she's She's become very tamed, very Hollywoodized since her creation. You know, she's not the... We look back, I think, now on Wonder Woman and we laugh at stuff like the bondage and the suffering Sappho and all of that. But we've really neutered the character since its creation. Our image of Wonder Woman, at least for our generation, starts from, like, Linda Linda Carter, you know, yeah. and yeah. all the comic books from the, the 80s and 90s. And, yeah, that was one of the things that that shocked me because I know in comics all the time someone loses their powers or has a, a small arc but for the the period that she lost it it was like no they that was punishment for you know we wanted this to happen all along and Marston kept fighting and now he can't fight anymore so you know we'll show him and it's it's sad how you know that happens and then you think of like where Wonder Woman is now in the pop culture zeitgeist and like even my daughter who's two years old because my wife's a big Wonder Woman fan like she will see the the W's or she can see a picture and she'll say Wonder Woman you know she she can't say too much but she'll say Wonder Woman and to think that there was a time where all that strength and and power that was so inspiring just got taken away because the powers that be didn't didn't like it is is startling and you know i i like to think that we've come a long way but i don't know sometimes you see some of the the re-imaging of wonder woman sometimes certain artists choice of costumes and you go oh we haven't 
gone as far as we sh- we should with that character. Prudery. I'm just gonna go with prudery. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And you know what? I think that's a perfect place to end. Uh, Kristen, where can folks find you? I am always on Twitter at journeys underscore film. You can download my podcast, Ticklish Business. That's at ticklishbusiness.podbean.com. I'm also on citizendame.podbean.com. So if you like to hear my thoughts, they are all over the joint. And you can find Changing Reels on social media on Twitter at Changing Reels AC. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. If you want to reach me personally, you can reach me on Twitter at Small Mind. Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to rate and review the show if you like the conversation. And remember that you can change the conversation on diversity in cinema one reel at a time. It's been a presentation of the Modern Superior Media Network.